Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. This week's episode is with very, very good friend of the podcast and extremely good friend of mine, Laura Davis. We sat in my flat in London uh, just before she leaves to go on tour through South Africa and then back to Australia. I'll see her in a month in Melbourne and I will miss her, but we had a really interesting conversation. It is slightly uh, about comedy, but of course, as with all conversations with Laura, it is about much more than that. As you know, this podcast is about having difficult conversations with interesting people. It is not an inside comedy chat. For that kind of uh, chat, there are plenty of other podcasts that are well worth listening to, uh, including the Comedian's Comedian podcast with Stu Goldsmith, where comedians talk about comedy. This is not that. This is Tea with Alice uh, with Laura Davis, and I hope you enjoy listening to it as much as I enjoyed having this conversation. I'll do a quick plug now. It shouldn't take more than a minute. But if you don't like listening to plugs for things, then uh, skip ahead maybe a minute, minute and a half. So, uh, the things I have to plug. My show, Kronos, C-H-R-O-N-O-S, my solo show, is now on sale for Melbourne International Comedy Festival, Sydney Comedy Festival, Perth Comedy Festival, Edinburgh Fringe Festival. And I'm also doing a tour through the UK in November. And the tickets are on sale for that now. I don't know if you want to buy so far in advance, but it is Stamford Corn Exchange, Birmingham Glee Club, Brighton Comedia, Guildford, G Live, Southend Theatre, Salford Lowry, Darlington Forum, and Durham Gala. So if you're in any of those places, please do buy tickets. Uh, sort of, uh, this is the first time I'm doing a proper solo tour of the UK, so I would like to sell tickets so they will let me do it again. Thank you as ever to all of my Patreon subscribers people who sign up at patreon.com slash Alice Fraser. You let me do what I do. Um, you make it possible for me to do what I do. And I am genuinely every day full of gratitude for that. If you don't want to support me financially but do want to support me in other ways, please recommend this podcast to your friends or just uh, tweet me at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E, or email me, alicerfraser at gmail.com. I do love getting your letters. I read them all, and I respond to as many of them as I possibly can, which is often all of them, but sometimes, you know, in the ways that things go up and down and you suddenly have a surge of stuff, sometimes it's too many, falls off the plate. If you have emailed me and I haven't emailed you back, it is worth giving me a prod, because I do try to respond to all of you. You are fabulous. I have such... I'm so lucky... So lucky with having such a, a kind and generous listenership. Not all people have control of what their fan base is like. You see these toxic fan bases all over the place, you know. People, <laughs> Harry Potter is a very toxic fan base. Star Star Wars has all these terrible fights. Obviously, I'm not in their league. Of course, they're, they're exposed to millions and millions of people, and I am not exposed to millions and millions of people. But nonetheless, the people who like what I do, seem to be really nice people, thoughtful people. I get these incredible emails from you. Uh, it makes me so happy that for whatever reason it makes me feel like I must be doing something right if you're the people that I'm attracting. Anyway, very self-indulgent. I'll stop talking and let you listen to the podcast. Please enjoy hearing me talk to Laura Davis. You're having tea with Alice. Sprinkled, yeah, nailed it. Like, that's so joyful to look at. <laughs> so, sit, sit, sit. Who are you and what are you drinking? 
feel like we've known each other for so long it's very funny still to be asked who I am <laughs> like I've broken into your house um, I'm Laura I'm drinking a large cold glass of water Deca- mm-hmm. decaffeinated water <laughs> I mean uh, you don't want to start the whole half a glass of water thing <laughs> no I've, it's a different podcast <laughs> I've already had one black tea today which is that's my caffeine uh, before I would start to have anxiety attacks good to know what your limit is with caffeine it is good to know what your limit is it's very sad to know that it's one cup of black tea <laughs> <laughs> one pot or one cup well there's only one tea bag in the pot so Does that, that counts i don't know is it if you make i guess if you leave it it must get slightly stronger but surely there's only a certain amount of caffeine in one tea bag whether or not you leave it in a big pot or not I think it is a central tea question, really, because one cup of tea can mean almost any amount of uh, tea-ishness. Can we send this to Dr. Carl, please? <laughs> <laughs> well, who's the one that they have here? The he's got always looks like he's smiling when he's talking, and he has very shiny hair. Some they're popular scientists that they have on all the shows. I don't know, but I would love somebody to <laughs> <laughs> email us in. <laughs> Uh, so that he never has to be described that way again. <laughs> well, he does. He he has a very oddly still upper lip when he talks. He always looks like he's smiling. Like a like a dummy, like just just bottom yeah. Bottom. Um, who is it? I'm I'm gonna. Someone did a tour with it. Robin Ince did a tour with him recently. Um, and he's a he's a popular scientist, and that's his thing. I don't know his name. I just. You would know him if you saw him, maybe. <laughs> I don't... Anyway, what have you been The wrestling? police sketch I've just drawn is absolutely <laughs> horrific. <laughs> well, he, he did a... He did a... Yeah, okay, never mind. But it's a whole thing. It's a whole... His, his face is... <laughs> this is what a podcast is I feel is like you now. shouldn't just... name him in case he's offended. <laughs> Describing his face. This. It's probably Alan or Adam or... Tom, one of those names that everyone has nowadays. Yes, a, f- a friend of mine called the other day and she was trying to describe something. She said, oh, I'm so sorry, very embarrassing. I have forgotten his name. I looked up his name and it was uh, three first names in a row. It was like Jeff Peter Scott or something like that. You, okay, well, if you're walking around with three first names, I think it's okay to forget it's which okay one forget. Which, which one goes first. Which one's the important one? I can't find a picture of him. He'll have to remain anonymous. Um, what <laughs> Were are you, you going to show the podcast? No, the I was going to show you so that you would. I'm sure you'd remember it if you knew him. And I'm I'm having a green tea and a jam donut, which I haven't had. I don't have them very often, but I had them when I was a kid. And there's something great about a good jam donut. Yeah, all those childhood sort of snacks. For me, sort of like a paddle pop at the pool, things that were sort of site-specific snacks. So I would get like a cream donut if we went to the park, because bakery was near the park, and uh, it was always uh, like a, a... Weirdly, it was a, a very big meringue that I got if I went to the beach uh, at my granddad's place, because the bakery there would sell these. And as a kid, particularly, you know, in the 90s in Australia when nobody cared or knew about sugar or anything like that after given one of those brittle meringues the size of my head and just like gnaw on it for the whole morning 
<laughs> it's just it's just sugar. It's probably two hundred and fifty grams of sugar in that one meringue. Well my my parents were sort of hippies, so we didn't have that much sugar. Mm. But we would go to the corner shop and you could choose between a red frog and a green frog. Oh. You know the Allen yes, sort of... Yes, of course. And you could buy them one at a time and they were like a cent or five cents mm. or whatever it was. And you had to choose between the red and the green. And the red was more obvious and the flavour was more mm. straightforward. And the green, you weren't sure if you liked it or not, but there was sort of a some kind of cachet to preferring the more complex subtle flavours <laughs> of, of the green frog. <laughs> the green apple or lime? Oh, I'd probably lime. Yeah, yeah, maybe they split the difference. Maybe that's not why no one likes them. I think them. it was at lime because it had that sort of edge to it. Mm. Sort of, um, the, the, the adult's choice yeah. <laughs> of Alan's frog. It certainly felt more sophisticated than the, uh, than the red frog. It's very weird, the, um, the short list of animals that have made the confectionery department. Frogs, in Australia we have koalas. Frogs, caramel koalas, yes. Um, you had snakes, killer pythons. Yeah, sort of jelly jelly snakes and jelly worms. Yes, um, babies. Yes, babies, human, <laughs> a human child, infants. Um, and then I think there was chocolate mice were a thing in older times yes there was and there was also a sort of a patisserie frog thing which was like a tart and it was filled with a kind of a pink buttercream yes. that had a green shell on the outside and a frog and then a slash cut in for the mouth and they always seemed like very fancy to me when i was a kid i always <laughs> wanted one i think we got them extremely rarely they were a, a, they were disgusting but they were a treat to be sort of desired yes like they're just a, basically a fistful of pink buttercream in a flimsy shell. It was not oh. not for food. <laughs> no, like but they were so glamorous, you know, right up the top of the patisserie counter at the French bakery that was down the road, and just for looking, not for eating. <laughs> yes, and it's interesting how many things you sort of want, and then how many times you have to have them and have them be disappointing before you don't want them anymore. Yeah, I'll never learn. I'll never learn. But, like, I think that the history is that Fred or Frog was going to be a, a mouse, but uh, somebody came in and was like, no, 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 people will not want to eat a disgusting mouse. That is a pest. Frog! <laughs> Which I guess, you know, the French eat frogs. I guess it's, it's more on the menu than a, a mouse, but... I always assumed it was sort of like a shape thing, like you needed something streamlined to get it in and out of the moulds. But then, like, why not like a, a chocolate whale or... Mm, I think it has to be something that's sort of domestic enough that people have um, some familiarity with it. Chocolate dog. Although killer pythons is not exactly a thing that people have familiarity no, with. No, I genuinely... I think... I think worms and snakes are just because uh, tubes are easy to make. <laughs> I think that's all it is. Yeah, and it's better to say a worm or a snake than it is to say a poo. Yes. Or spaghetti. Or spaghetti. <laughs> I mean, yeah, spaghetti is more delicious. There is a bathroom at the tap room in uh, Angel, which is a place where someone runs some gigs and I do them occasionally. The bathroom smells like... Um, do you remember coloured pens that had a... Sp- 
like a plasticky flavour smell to them. Oh, yes. And that's what the sanitizer in the bathroom smells like, and it feels wrong. It's too... <laughs> it's too edible. Yes. It's too... Um, there's something too human about it. I don't, I don't like it. it. It upsets me much more than, like, a pine smell or a lemon <laughs> smell would. I do... I do not like a pine smell in a toilet because I quite like the woods, and it feels disrespectful <laughs> and... That's not what the wood smells like. You don't want to go to the woods and... And think of the toilet. Yeah. No. It was one of my first jokes I ever told was uh, I bought a bathroom air freshener in a fragrance called Alpine Air because sometimes when I'm on the toilet, I like to pretend I'm shitting at a higher altitude. <laughs> I was 19. That's a Just good early joke. Dead, dead pan into the microphone. <laughs> Did it get a laugh? Yeah, it worked. And then some people told me off for saying that uh, I, I shouldn't say that I was shitting because people don't like it when when girls do disgusting material. <sighs> yeah, I shouldn't I shouldn't talk about needing to use a toilet. I was like, it's really a joke about the air freshener more than anything. And like, no, no, no. Anytime you tell it, I just viscerally visualize you shitting. <laughs> okay, that feels like more your problem than mine. <laughs> It is that thing of how much, you know, you have to be aware of yourself on stage and how people are going to react to you in particular delivering a particular kind of joke. That's Mm. a real part of the job is figuring out what you say and then what they're going to hear, but how much you should push that and try and shift it and how much you should work within the constraints that you're given. Yes. I've been thinking about this a bit lately on, on stage and I'm trying to... Uh, I'm trying to both edit my old show with some stuff that I can put in for when I take it to Australia because there's there's all the jokes about Australia that I have not been able to tell in England. And so they will go into last year's show and I'll sort of strengthen it with those and to write a whole new show. And it always... Trying to work out how you want the audience to see you I think is... It's sort of a mistake in a lot of ways is to just... Just sort sort of a weird thing where you have to pretend that they're not there and also be hyper-conscious of them at the exact same time because you have to know how you're coming across and it feels feels a bit in its if it you're doing it well it feels a bit like you're sounding for truth and you're it's almost like an echolocation you can get a sense of what you are if you stand in front of, of 500 people and go hey I'm like this and only 20% of them go ha yes we agree <laughs> then you know you're probably not that much like that yeah yeah and I, I've sort of it, that is an interesting thing when it comes to me because I've never been quite sure what I am so other than sort of the truth of the uncertainty mm. it's hard for me to do a and I'm like this kind of joke it's more more show than tell maybe yeah it's just another thing to we, I used to joke about it too of like the the weird confidence that it builds of once you've had like 
I, I think the biggest crowd I've, I really bombed to is like 2,000. Once you've had 2,000 people hate you solidly for five minutes, like, you're free. <laughs> <laughs> you're going you're gonna to need to mobilise 2,001 people if you ever want to upset me. <laughs> like, just sort of blurs out. Yeah, you'd think. But then, you know, sometimes the people who are in this industry particularly are very fragile. Like, I always think of their egos as, like, blown glass, and the bigger that they get, the more fragile they are. Mm. People who are very delicate, who you wouldn't think could be. Yeah. Yeah, speaking of which, I've been watching that blown glass show. Oh, yeah, blown away. Now I know quite a lot about glass blowing. It's a great show. I love a reality (laughs) TV show where people are doing something interesting and artistic. It's my problem with it when I watch it is I feel like maybe 88% of the time I'm sitting there going, I don't make that out of glass. <laughs> like that's, uh, we're going to make a toothbrush out of glass. No, <laughs> don't make a glass toothbrush. Bad glass choices. <laughs> make a glass out of glass. <laughs> a window. Yeah, traditional glass things. <laughs> That's what it's for. Um, I've been thinking about South Africa lately. I head over to the Cape Town Comedy Festival in a few days. And as somebody who's never really wanted to travel very much, I sort of don't. I don't willingly travel. Mm. I don't choose places that I go. But I do get sent places for work. And so it, it feels a bit like having someone else in charge and sort of having the world on shuffle a, a bit like so you're doing your research on South Africa because it's not something that you've contemplated in a personal way before no I never thought about going there no offense to South Africa I really haven't th- thought about going very many places but yeah so so far my travel will be Australia New Zealand Malaysia the UK Estonia Cape Town. All gigs and all sort of... A very, and a very, very quick stop in Norway where it was dark and I didn't see anything and I was only outside of the car in the hotel for about 20 minutes. Um, but I have been to the airport. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's an interesting thing. What have you been thinking about South Africa? I think I was thinking of all the things I know about South Africa and as a West Australian I know that South Africa and Cape Town in particular is one of the only other places that is as bad for great white sharks. Uh-huh. That's something I know. Okay. It's it's the great white sharks. Uh, I know they don't have much water. Mm-hmm. I know... Again, quite like Western Australia. Yes. Um, and that's it. They've got not much water, but just enough to have quite a few sharks. Have you? Do you feel an obligation to do research into the country before you go there? Or? Yes. Yeah, I found a little guidebook in a in a one of those give a book, leave a book sort of uh, take a book. How old is the guidebook? Is it pre-apartheid ending or? No, no, no. It's, it's it seems quite recent. Um, 
But it's just telling me what cafes to go to. That's, that's worse to turn up somewhere and go, look, I know you got sharks. Uh, I brought my own water. And I'm going to the cafe. Apparently you can get very good donuts here. So you're doing your solo show in Cape Town? or No, just line-up shows. It'll be really lovely. There's some great people going. Fern Brady and Stu Goldsmith and... Uh, a whole lot of South African comics as well so it's sort of a really nice mix and then I head straight on to the Melbourne Comedy Festival but yeah something about there's something nice about never picking a place to travel to and just going where you're called to yeah somebody was oh do you want to do some gigs in in Russia (laughs) sure (laughs) yeah I will and, and, and there's something about knowing that you would never of your own accord go to Russia. Yeah, I mean, I would like to still, but I just, I'm not a big traveler and I don't have much money. And so it's not something where I, you know, I start putting money aside to go to Russia or anything. I'm putting money aside to like have a baby or something like that. And then somebody throws it your way and you jump at the opportunity. And then, but whenever I travel, I'm always having the exact same day as I would anywhere and that sort of makes me happy as well because I'm working so I'm always like wake up do a bit of work go out to the park or like look at some stuff and then do a gig get late night food with some other comedians and then go to bed like it's quite nice to have the same day in lots of different places I was talking about this with a with a friend about kind of going back and forth between different countries and the idea of like because I've been doing this daily podcast the last post I haven't been gigging a lot and I'm panicking about writing my new show and all of that stuff uh and stepping back from comedy in that way by like being forced to take a step back from live comedy by the amount of work that I'm doing in the daytimes and how that feels all going into this question which is you know, when you travel, how do you have community? And if you're traveling through the festivals, there is mm. that community. You know, I will. I know that in less than a month, I will be having coffee with you in Melbourne. Yay! And then we'll be having coffee in London again. And yes, you know, there, there's there is a community that travels with you, particularly when you do the festival thing. And then when you think of the festivals in terms of your career, what do they do for your career? What's the point of doing a festival? Is it financially viable? Are you going to get opportunities out of it? All of that kind of seems... There's a lot of people who've been doing festivals for a very long time without any, like, career outcomes. But I think they get... I think we get addicted to the community part of it. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely the thing that I miss. Like, when I think of, oh, I miss the festival. Ah, I really miss it. Definitely 0% of my brain is missing, like, checking ticket sales or flyering or <laughs> running around printing off reviews at Officeworks and stapling it into a thing. I miss the community of people that I do those things with. And I think that's, yeah... And also there's sort of this this necessity for the hardship in kind of building and supporting that community, Mm. that it has to be kind of a slog for it to build that really strong community. Um, And then then you question whether, or I question, whether the comedians who do the festival circuit sort of fruitlessly for years and years and years are deluded or whether they just have their values on straight. 
Yes, maybe both. And, you know, why don't they just have a community somewhere in the countryside somewhere? <laughs> yes. I mean, you can be both deluded and have good values on straight and everything, but... Some of the best people I know are deluded. <laughs> it's lovely. It's very interesting. Yeah, I don't know. How are you going writing your new show? I'm not. I have two jokes so far. Okay. And about three pages of just sort of free writing. I took this weekend off from writing the last post and could have used it for writing the new show but didn't. Mm. And, you know, my first week's audiences in Melbourne will either be generous and kind or not. Mm -hmm. I think there's there's a couple of different ways that you can write a show. One is you work up 10-minute bits in clubs and render those 10-minute bits sort of bulletproof and then stitch them together into a show. Um, Ideally, you'll write them and they will reveal to you some sort of themes in the way that you've been thinking and then that will fit into a show. Or another way that I do it is writing it from top to tail and then presenting it as a whole piece and finding out where it's funny Mm. and where it isn't and adjusting it as you go, which is a riskier proposition because you're not going to be sure if any of the bits work until they're in front of an audience. And very few of the bits will be able to be extracted and tried out individually before you do it as as a piece. Um, At this point, I think, like, necessity is going to require that. I script the show before I perform it Mm -hmm. rather than performing it and then writing it down. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Got to just got to back yourself, right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. I find it. I'm, I'm finding it very exciting because I haven't done a new show at Melbourne for two years now. Like, I, the last new one I did was when I did Cake in the Rain in 2017, and that's still one of my happiest memories. Is Having like fifteen ticket sales, maybe, maybe a week and a half through the festivals, and going, oh, I guess that's fine. You know, I'm in a weird bunker, and that's good. And then this stream of people coming in, and we filled it up, and people were being turned away, and it was just sort of this wonderful chaos of a hundred and thirty people trying to fit into a seventy seat venue, which really should only be a forty seat <laughs> venue. And I am absolutely certain that zero people will ever come to see me in Melbourne ever again. And I can't. I'm so excited to see my audience and talk to them again. Like, it's a really unique crowd and everything. But I also have no trust that it will go well. So you have this combination of looking forward to seeing this audience and also thinking this audience doesn't exist. Yeah, I'm so excited to go and absolutely terrified slash convinced that only disaster lies ahead. Yeah, it's sort of necessary to have that to operate, though. You have to have Mm. confidence enough to keep doing it and doubt (laughs) enough to keep trying to do it. Yes, trying to improve it, I guess. But it's very weird to me. I I wasn't in the best head when I was doing Edinburgh this year. Well, last year, sorry. And um, so I have no record of the show. Interesting. It's not 
recorded, no audio, no video, no notes. I have a set list, a photograph of a handwritten set list that I had on stage with me every night for a month. So it's sort of nice in some ways to start writing it afresh, knowing that I've already got it somewhere. Somewhere in the banks of your yeah. memory. Do you think or do you worry that starting to do that show again will put you back into that headspace or are you able to separate the work from the well, mood you were in when you wrote it? I wonder if that's why I made no record of it. And people liked it. It was it was a nice show and, you know, got good reviews and people clapped. And But I think part of me was just like, let's make no record of this time. Um, yeah. So I, I feel like this is the most exciting, excited I've ever been to do a festival. It's partly because I know the show already goes well, but I also haven't written it yet. <laughs> I don't have it. It's not paper. So I don't actually know what any of the words will be, but I also know... Once you start saying them, they'll sort of... Yeah, like I think just try and remember as many good bits as I can, but also just try and write it again. Like, basically, I already wrote a good show when I was not well. Mm. So if I try and write that same show again when I am better, surely it can only... Mm. (laughs) And then... Yeah, I don't. I don't subscribe to the. You you make your best work when you're not well in the head. No, sort of I think stuff. that's a very dangerous narrative for yes artists. And also, I didn't. There was you know still came in as one star less <laughs> than usual, um, and I really I do think that was because I wasn't wasn't quite right. So yeah, it'd be nice to do. It feels like a a fresh take on it. Yeah, I think I'm looking forward to seeing it. I don't think we clash, do we? I don't think so, no. And I'm also, I'm doing all the nights of the festival. Yeah, and I'm doing it at Soho Theatre when I come back, so that would be a nice way to break it in. You know, like all those painters, uh, I don't know how many of it was, but that sort of artistic thing of making a painting and then, like, throwing it straight in the bin because the... The joyous part is painting it. Not having it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel like I do that with so much of what I make. I I have no record of Ghost Machine other than a couple of crackly low res um, recordings on my phone. And, you know, if I lose my phone, I haven't even... I don't think I've backed them up or anything like that. I mean, that's a fragile way to be with well, your I work. Just, that thing of, like, unless I'm, like, showing it to my grandchildren or something like that. And I don't know. Is it too pessimistic to think I don't think we'll get to grandchildren? <laughs> <laughs> or by then they'll, like, the media will be so different that they will absolutely not give a fuck about listening to my, like, iPhone notes. No, I mean, I tend to... I tend to write a script up to about three quarters finished and then I start performing on stage and it diverts from the script enough that the script no longer has anything to do with what I've done on stage. Mm. And then I'll usually do a rev.com recording, like a transcription. This isn't advertised or whatever they call it. This isn't sponsored. (laughs) (laughs) There's a service that transcribes from audio 
uh, relatively cheaply and I will use that to have a record of it. But I don't know why I want a record or why I think it would be important, except that then I have brought back shows. <laughs> in, in yeah, I feel like it was so hard to sell any of my shows when they were current. Mm. <laughs> like it was so hard to get people to give a fuck about them. That the idea of trying to get people to give a fuck about them in 20 years to this, me seems impossible. Is, I find it so fascinating that of when I talk to comedians or, you know, comedy fans, they'll say that you're their favourite act. And yet, particularly in Australia, no one's ever heard of you mm. who isn't a comedy fan or in that scene. I find it odd that someone could be recognised as, like, the top of their field, <laughs> in you know, on at least one vector, and then not kind of have that translate into anything else. Yes, I'm very bad at marketing. <laughs> but there's heaps of comedians that are very bad at marketing. I don't... I don't, I don't know what it is about, about Australia particularly or Australian audiences that they don't want something that's good. Yes, I certainly felt um, a big weight off my shoulders when I moved to the UK and as much as I found it very difficult to live here and be away from my family, uh, it did feel a bit like being gaslit by an entire industry in a country of living there was starting to make me feel like, am I just insane? Mm. Am I just... And then, you know, I would have full crowds and have these wonderful shows and have the best time at the comedy festival and then, like, silently spend the rest of the year working moving tables and polishing forks <laughs> underground at my day job in uh, the event centre and moving here and being able to do it properly full time has been yeah a massive change mm. for me and just there's that little thing about maybe it's not maybe it's not good for me to have any approval I always joke about if my mum ever watches one of my shows and says she likes it, I'll quit. Like, I don't <laughs> need to do it anymore. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's probably for the best for somebody motivated mostly by defiance. <laughs> to, yeah, consistently be met with disapproval or not yeah. the level of approval that you want. I'm going to close this window because you look cold. I'm so cold. And the window is so open. It is. I'm closing the window. I'll put a blanket on you. <laughs> That's how cold I look. Do you look cold? I'm getting the full I'm treatment. I'm going to invite you over to have a cup of tea and freeze today. <laughs> it's not, that's not what this podcast is. It's not... I think finding out Freeze what... with Alice. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> Maybe you can do those apps in summer. Just a, just a 15-minute podcast where we go out into an ice shelf. <laughs> Yeah, I think finding out exactly what motivates you is a very, very useful bit of self-reflection. Yeah, this this year my motto is kind of hacking my own brain. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously I always have the motto, no one's going to die, we're all going to die. But the this one is like, figure out the things that frustrate you about your own psychology mm -hmm. 
and then you know the, we all have these roadblocks things that we find ourselves hard pressed to do mm. being organized or cleaning up or getting something done without a deadline or whatever it happens to be figuring those out and then rather than trying to fix those things figuring out how to use those traits or tendencies mm. and leverage them into productivity where they tend to stop you so for me like I will always write something if I know someone's waiting to read it, mm -hmm. which is that deadline thing, I can't set my own deadlines. I can't set deadlines for myself because I'm smarter than myself. I'm mm -hmm. like, well, that's obviously not a real deadline. <laughs> but it, for me, it was like, oh, I'm going to bring someone in on this project so that then when we have a meeting on Thursday, I have to mm. have it for them, even though it's essentially for me. Yes. Does that make sense? Because otherwise you find yourself led by other people's demands of you rather than your own interests or the projects that you want to pursue. It's whatever anyone is hassling mm. you the most about, you'll deliver. Yes. And I don't think that's a good trait. So you have to set your own But it's either like schedules. fix my people-pleasing tendency, yeah. which is a deep-rooted part of... It's going to take a few days. Yeah, it's going to take a little while or use that understand that I have this tendency and then leverage it and use it that's my yeah. that's what that's like if as far as new year's resolutions go I think that's it yeah as much as I despise new year's resolutions just just because I've listened to so many people so I always think that new year's eve is one of the most terrible concepts you could have I'm, I agree we should acknowledge the the changing of the year mm. um but Getting people drunk to yell at you <laughs> over the Grease Megamix about how they're slowly going to improve themselves <laughs> over the next 12 months is fucking dire. It's not my favourite. Well, for me, there's an, the new year doesn't even really start until my birthday, which is the 7th of January is when I sort of mm. start my plans, whatever they are, drink my I mean, water. I think that's for lots of people. Mm. Not start theirs on your birthday too, because they uh, <laughs> are so still over. recovering <laughs> for about seven days, and that's when people go back to work and go, "All right, fine." <laughs> and that, mm. yeah, it's good to know all of your weaknesses and try and mobilise them for <laughs> productivity. Well, rather, good. rather than just recognising them and feeling bad about them or recognising them and doing the incredibly hard work of trying to fix yourself mm. with all these delicately balanced yeah, Jenga towers. Yeah, when you were three. Yeah, exactly. We are, I feel like most people are kind of a delicately balanced Jenga tower of flaws and you've got to be very careful when you try and mm. get rid of a flaw because it might be something that's holding up a whole lot of other things. Yes, very um, balanced. And so you'd ha you have to kind of do take that project on very carefully, the project of deconstructing and reconstructing yourself, mm. and you see it done badly in acting schools of all kinds where people sort of have their personalities broken down by some... <laughs> acting teacher and then reconstitute themselves as blank slate human beings you know some of very very good actors are just nothings because they have been made to be so self-conscious about every movement of their body every expression of their face every every construction of their mind that they can't operate in normal life you know and then they start talking about themselves in the third person <laughs> you know that kind Just of gosh. thing um 
So you gotta you gotta be careful about that stuff. But for the meantime, just using it. <laughs> <laughs> like the, I, I guess the um, the uh, yeah, it's a, it's an odd thing to think about. But I was talking about it with my friend Alex Savronsky the other day, um, who's a composer, mm. and we were talking about that specific thing of trying to work with your flaws rather than against them. Yes. Yes, it's, it's very hard to pick out what is a flaw. And what's a feature? Yeah, they're all features. Like, I'm incredibly stubborn, mm. but that's very good, I would say, 50% of the time. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of things that are really obviously flaws are the flip side of a coin whose mm. other face is something really positive. Yeah. You know, even things that you think of as negative are often attached to something very integral that has a immensely yes. positive side. Yes. But what if one of my flaws is I'm a very negative thinker? Mm. How do I? <laughs> <laughs> so, but then again, that's one of the things that makes you so good at comedy. How? Because you can see the problems with things. Oh, Yeah. Oh, I got a long list. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I think two of maybe just anywhere in life, but as much as and I I struggle with anxiety and and everything. But ever since I was a kid, like my head is very good at scanning ahead for what could go wrong. So. I feel like I know what could go wrong now in this present moment and then I know what could go wrong in 10 minutes and then I know what could go wrong in an hour and I know what could go wrong between 7pm and midnight and I know what could go wrong before tomorrow morning stretching onwards for for the next 5 to 10 years with, you know, subject to change updates coming in on the regular (laughs) and that is... So awful to live in, but it means I very rarely miss a flight. Yes, it means you very rarely miss a flight. It means that you're very good at um, drawing out causal connections and chains of consequence in a way that a lot of people don't think about the future and they don't, you know, you might do it in this particularly negative way, but a lot of people don't think what anything leads to. <laughs> they just do the thing in the moment that they're doing and they can't really contemplate what it might what what, what might happen next as a result. No, and then I'm fucking stuck arrested by several dozen different choices of how can I minimize <laughs> and then I feel like I'm constantly making mistakes even if they are things like ah you idiot you should have gone down that street instead of the other street because you should have known that this is a street that quite often has dog poo on it. (laughs) How have you not learned that from the last time you came down and you saw the dog poo and you didn't step in it, but you knew it was there and you went, I think somebody walks their dog regularly down here and doesn't clean up after their dog, so you should always avoid the street if possible. And then you forgot. (laughs) You fall! And you didn't even step in the dog pool. You nearly did, but that's enough to make me really mad at myself. Yeah, maybe that's a, something you could <laughs> tone down on or balance against some 
sense of self-worth as well. Mobilise to yeah, you, you, great productivity. Mobilise towards utility and away oh, from self-loathing. I really feel like I have missed a calling in like risk management. Like, <laughs> oh man, I'd be so good at it. But it, I'd be... It would ruin my life. It would be one of those ones of doing what you're best at to the absolute you would devastation. Be cult- <laughs> you would be cultivating an element of your personality that maybe doesn't need extra manure or yes. fertilizer. <laughs> Dog poo aside. Like a, You'd be the terror of some sort of mining company or something. <laughs> maybe I could have, like, shut the world down. <laughs> By this point. Gone in ten years ago and gone, oh, no. Um, oh, stop Where it. do you think those plastic bags are going to go, mate? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we needed you at the beginning of the Industrial oh, Revolution. Shit. Um, before all of this went downhill. <laughs> um, I, I won't keep you because I know you're going to watch yes, a movie so with your donuts. beloved husband and you have a lot of donuts waiting for that experience. Yes, I've, I've stocked up. I've got six donuts. So where can people find you online and where can people find you in the world? Oh, they can find me in the world, uh, either in London or I'm doing a few dates in Perth coming up uh, and then I'll be in Melbourne. So, if any Cape of... Town, don't forget. Oh, Cape yes, Town. and in Cape Town. Uh, those are the places I'm, I'm going. Uh, but you can basically follow me on Twitter at Laura Davis Comic or on Instagram and that's probably the easiest way to to find things at Laura and, Davis comic and you could buy my album for five pounds off my website which is a bargain it's a real good price it's professionally great... recorded lovely album of my show Cake in the Rain great show thank you so much for having tea with me thanks for having me Doppers, he will roar 
We'll tie our hands up, we surely do. For Elsie Thompson, but not for you. Lally right fall day, right fall day. Oh, Elsie Thompson is going away. Is it tomorrow or yet today? We'll tie our hands up and leave our frames and wait for Elsie to return again. Lally right fall day, lally right fall.